yeah, it's time for another episode of the comic book Kaiju. I am one of your hosts, Vactor. I'm here with the big largeness himself, Chris Eaton. How you doing, sir? Doing well, sir. How are you? I'm doing excellent because I'm talking to two of my favorite pals, especially my favorite wrestling buddies. My buddy, my buddy. Uh, not only Chris Eaton, but that laughter you heard was coming live from the planet of Mempho, Mr. Marcus Seabury. Yeah, what's up, baby? What's up, baby? You know what I'm saying? I'm in here trying. You feel me? And might I add, Maine. Seabury <laughs> C- is hustle, Chris Eaton is flow. So we are here, the comic book kaiju. Um, also, if you did not know, we have a sister podcast called The Kickout Kaiju, where we talk all about wrestling in the uh, professional manner. That is a commentary podcast where we most likely talk about a wrestling match that you have seen, dear listener or dear uh, watcher, if you're watching this. And I wanted to let everybody know that Chris Eaton and Marcus Seabury are doing a fantastic job on the Kickout Kaiju. So definitely check them out week to week. Um, I have I've had to take a leave of absence from the show, but I will hopefully be back soon. All right. This week, this week we're actually in in memorial for uh, Antonio Inoki, who passed away this past week. Uh, we're going to uh, sort of commentate over the uh, Ric Flair versus Antonio Inoki match from Collision in Korea. So ah, that'll nice. be that'll be a fun watch. Yeah. Very nice. Uh, but we are going to be talking because Miss Chris Eaton and Marcus Seabury have such a love for wrestling, the the professional wrestling. Um, let me ask Mr. Chris Eaton about this comic that he chose specifically to talk about. Mr. Eaton, why don't you tell us why? <laughs> first of all, first of all, first of all, I'm sorry. <laughs> second of all literally because wrestling yeah um wcw was wcw never really had the merchandising foothold that wwe had the one thing that i remember as a kid uh growing up was i got a few issues of this wcw comic book and i never saw a wwf comic book till much later um yeah, like so was, they ahead, had, like I think they were put what was it, like Voyager Communications or somebody you know the people that used to publish Valiant, Valiant, like yeah. And, yeah so because like I remember one where Big Boss Man was fighting the Mountie out in the swamp or some crap like this, what? but but yeah, like they didn't yeah. have comics that I would see in Kroger right. while I was you know uh, thumbing through my pro wrestling illustrators and Nintendo Powers on the. Shout out uh, Nintendo Power. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. So yeah, like they had So yeah, I uh I just I was going through some old boxes from my move a few months ago and and found this couple of issues that I had of the WCW comic. I was like, I wonder if this is any good. And so uh I found the nearest truck that happened, they had hit a bump and uh, they had fallen off the back of it <laughs> so um i i picked picked all the issues that i didn't have up off the ground and 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 read them all in in sequence just to uh, see you know how they were and i thought since we had around that time we had started kick out 
kaiju. I thought this would be a really cool sort of tie-in episode um, between Kickout Kaiju and Comic Book Kaiju to discuss what are probably, to my knowledge, the first wrestling comic. Mm. Uh, it might not be, but I'm not aware of one that's earlier. Marcus, are you? Yeah, like I'm saying, the because uh, like I was seeing the WWF stuff like late 80s, early 90s. Oh, okay. See, I, I wasn't aware of that. And then, technically now, you want to talk about the first wrestling comic, you got to go back to Kinikuman, which was a manga which came to America as Ultimate Muscle, muscle yeah, and Muscle, right. <laughs> that started in like the mid to late 70s. Okay. Well, this was the first one that I knew about and the first one that sort of came across my field of, of, of influence, so... I thought it'd be a cool, cool thing to look at here as, you know, since we're all comic aficionados and wrestling aficionados uh, to try to, you know, uh, see, see, do they hold up? What was good? What was bad? And as I said at the top, I'm sorry, (laughs) but but we'll get into it. All right, cool. So let me go first with my experience with the WCW comics and then we're going to we're going to make a roundabout way. We're going to go Seabury and then back to Chris Eaton. Um this was new to me. I did not know these existed. These 12 issues that spanned from 1992 to 1993. To be fair, I'm still not sure they do. <laughs> uh but the thing that I had a great time with was putting myself back into 1992 Vector. Now, 1992 Vector to put it in perspective, was 10 years old. When this was happening, Spider-Man had just turned 30. Mm-hmm. That was like something that when I saw the um, the ads in this, I was like, oh, man, this is crazy. Because well, I think about Spider- how old Spider-Man is now. And to go back to then, and I was like, oh, yeah, that it reminded me that that was kind of my, my grounding. That was my lightning rod. Oh, yeah, Spider-Man was how all of my comic book knowledge gets tied together of, oh, this character is Spider-Man's friend. This character is Spider-Man's love interest. Like everything comes back to Spider-Man. Spider-Man is your point of reference. Yes. So that was kooky to me to be like, oh, this is 92. And then I put myself into that 1992 mindset and a ton of, a flood of memories came back. Like I said, I've never read these comics before, but in 1992, I remember the ads in the comics. I I remembered all the products that were advertised. I remember the smell of the comics and the paper, the feel of the paper. All of these things came back and I was reading it digitally. So it was just like a time capsule for me when I was going through this and I was like fascinated of 1992. And at the same time, not only did I, had I never read this before, but I was always a WWF and then WWE guy. Like I never had a a foothold into WCW. At the time, I was always like, oh, that's the other guys. And Sting was the only person I knew from WCW. I didn't know anyone else. It's crazy the amount of wrestlers that I knew from WWE that were in this. And I was like, I had no idea that they also wrestled in WCW. Um, Even... Jim Ross. Now I knew Jim Ross came from WCW, but he's my favorite announcer of all time. And so having him in the books, um, all of these things were great 
nostalgia things for me as I was going through this. And it was also a different time in wrestling. Um, this also fits right into our kickout kaiju where we kind of analyze the psychology of wrestling. The mindset of the baby face and the heel was everything. It was like either you were good or bad. That was it. There was no mm-hmm. right. gray. Everyone was, if you're a heel, <clears throat> you spit on kids, you talk bad about their moms, like you do everything to to hate to, to have the crowd hate you. And then if right. you're a baby face, you are Captain America, like you are drinking milk and apple pie and, and mm. everything is you are a hundred prayers, eating your vitamins. A hundred percent. That was well, that's what they call K right? Like, oh yeah. You mm-hmm. yeah, you you live the gimmick, you protect the gimmick at all costs. Like right. you know, like like you could be cool, like you could be a good guy and cool with a bad guy, but like <laughs> y'all ain't finna go to no freaking uh the Waffle right. House, right? Because he's a heel, mm-hmm. and that was as a gym- <laughs> <laughs> that was as a kid, like that was sacred to me, <clears throat> and it was just like it was great going back to that time period and then thinking about how wrestling has evolved to today and the mindset of of what you know the type of things that where the the curtain has pulled back a little bit and we were able to see behind the scenes and then the wrestlers are real people we're able to see them outside of the the gimmicks or outside of their characters and especially with social media being able to see behind the scenes and uh, sometimes a little bit too much when we mm-hmm. see them in adult films and things like that. But what you not, not, nonetheless, yeah. um, social I, media has been a great thing and a terrible thing for, for pro wrestling. A hundred percent. But I had a great time going through, like I said, the comic itself was mm-hmm. also from 1992. Like the, the way that it was written, the art style, the coloring, a lot of these things, it's like, okay, that was a time period. That was a museum piece or a time thing that happened. Yeah. From 92. So I was like, all right, I respect it. I remember this time period, but I don't necessarily want to go back to this time period. I like where I'm at right now. So that was my experience with these 12 WCW comics. It was, man, all this stuff coming back to me from 92. And then also kind of a new thing for me it was there was something new because i wasn't into wcw growing up i've watched recaps and and rethink you know things um reviews online and things of that nature of documentaries and things but i was i didn't have the like that love i think of wcw like i do for wwe so that's how i approached it so i'm very curious mr marcus seabury what was your experience with these All WCW right. comics. First, I'm going to take it back to 92. I was yeah. 15 or 16. Yeah. Uh, and every day was kind of hellish because uh, I was a, I was a black nerd in the 80s and 90s. Man. It ain't like it's a rough now. life. Mm. You know, now, ooh, boy. It was like, <laughs> I was like, I walked so they could run. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. All, <laughs> you, all you black nerds. I'm an OG. I took the lumps for you. <laughs> but now, had a cousin, Mario, who was also kind of black and nerdy, and we both like comics, and we had like history together, and 
He was like, yeah, man, WCW got a comic. So he bought issue one. I read it. Um, Interesting, like, kind of the timeline of the comic was about maybe a year behind. Roughly, the, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, roughly a year behind the actual show, because, like, because, like, by the time this comic hmm. started, Big Van Vader was champion, but this was showing kind of the end of Lex Luger's reign, and they probably cut out a lot of his reign because they knew that he had signed with WBF slash WWF. Mm-hmm. I'm shining in this book. And um, so I had read the first two issues. Then I don't know, like, maybe my cousin kept getting them and didn't tell me because, like, I just didn't love it. Like, you know, the art, even for 92, man, that art wasn't great. You know, I'm, <laughs> you know, X-Men and Spider-Man and stuff, you know, I'm reading, you know, I'm seeing like Todd McFarlane and our Jim Lee hmm. marks of, like, this was kind of eh. and then I remember though like, like the next year because, you know, it started when I was a uh, sophomore, my cousin Mario was a freshman, but then the next year, he's a sophomore and I'm a junior, he's like, yo I got WCW issue 12 and I'm like, alright, bring it let me read so I borrowed it from Cause like I know he was a big Vader fan, and like you know that most of the issues, as anyone should be, yeah, yeah. <laughs> most of the issue was kind of based on a real life thing. Vader mm-hmm. came in and kind of just demolished thing and got the heavyweight belt, you know. Plus, but at the end, I'm, it's okay because Sting goes back in the back and eats cake <laughs> with a kid in the locker room. <laughs> Just yeah. you didn't believe it. You didn't believe me when I told you that's what happened at the end of the comic, did you? <laughs> I did not. Yeah, yeah, man. Uh, so, like, even though I didn't care for it as a WWE fan, I was sad that it ended. Like, mm-hmm. I would see crazy little issues, like all, like all of the middle stuff about, you know, uh, Dark Sting or Black Sting or whatever. And I was like, oh wow, this is this is weird. That never happened because like, man, Sting was like was like a good guy's good guy or like mm. a face in face. He was just right. like pretty much once he turned face like in UWF, he pretty much stayed face until like the 2000s. Like they tried to turn him heel in WCW and it was terrible. I was actually going to ask you about that. I was going to text you when I was reading it, and I was like, "What is what?" I don't remember hearing about Dark Sting or Black Sting. I was like, "What is this?" All that fans full of made up, man. Oh, okay, <laughs> that was just, that was just them embellishing. But gotcha. now all the people were in, you know, WCW like mm-hmm. Rick Rhodes and uh, Rick Steiner, Scott Steiner, you know, um, all those guys. Johnny B. Bad, who just you may know as Wild Man Mark Merrill, that yes. was identity in WWF. Yeah, um, yeah, like I said, all that was there. You know, Ron Simmons went on to be Farouk and yes. AP. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like you know, all those guys were there. But they just started. I guess they unbalanced a lot because of where they started. Like I said, you know, they started with Luger, but they were like, "Look, man, this dude has straight up signed with." you know mm. other people and everybody knew so they were like so i guess they were like hey let's just run wild <laughs> at the end they were like well let's bring it back to when vader be staying and you know because it's funny like like also like 
during the course of reading this, now you know Ron Simmons is spotlighted a lot in these comics, and God bless him uh, for that. Yeah, yeah, God bless him for that because he's awesome. He's amazing. He is bad, and, and he's a Hasbro trophy winner. Put some respect on Ron Simmons' name, but also like around, like during the course of this run. Uh, like in real WCW time, Vader lose the belt to Ron Simmons briefly, mm-hmm. like for like three, four months, you know. Then like Vader beats him like right before the, like right at the end of '92 and gets it back. And uh, so like, you know, it, it was just interesting to see like, oh yeah, you know, Ron Simmons, and you know, just kind of seeing him in these guys because like. I first came for me with Ron Simmons, like watching UWF and Dr. Jeff Steve Williams brought him in. And I thought, I just, I, you know, he was a big, strong black dude. I thought mm-hmm. he was cool. I was like, yes, you know, so like, and yeah, it brought me back. Like I said, I remember seeing all those ads and stuff. Cause like, you know, I was, I was like a straight up Marvel zombie back yeah. then. You see, I might've fooled like some Justice League International, like Batman. Or, you know, maybe a little Superman. I was just like, yeah, so like, you know, I definitely saw all those ads in other companies. Mm. You know? and, and and like I said, it just brought me back and like, it's silly. It's bad good. <laughs> you know, it was one word, it, bad good. <laughs> yeah. Because like, I had never just read it in its entirety. Mm. And, <laughs> which I did yesterday. <laughs> And I think what's crazy is this is 20 years old at this point. We are now commenting on this from 2022, and this is 92. This is 30 you know, years old. It, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, 30 years old. <laughs> like I said, hey. I, was, I was 15 going on. Repeat 15. after me. The 90s were 10 years ago. Dang. <sighs> That's what it feels like for 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 real. 100 percent feels like the 90s just happened to be. I know, man. Dude. I- <laughs> <laughs> I am, you know, I am like spitting distance at fifty. So trust me, I am well aware of age. <laughs> it, it's it's all around me. Yeah, and you, actually, yeah. another thing, Seabury, not to cut you off. Another thing that always this always fascinates me: the beginning of one decade always has that bleed over from the last decade. So with this one. You could see the 80s fashion. You could see the the rap stereotypes, especially the rappers, like the way yeah. that like just the way that their their characters are portrayed and then their raps specifically. It it definitely felt 80s, didn't feel 90s to me. But that's because anytime you're transitioning to the next decade, you're going to have that bleed over where they haven't defined that decade yet. That comes later. So that was something that stood out to me as well was the the 80s-ness of this 92. And, you know, they were probably writing this maybe in 91 or or early 92, like late 91, right. or early 92. So th- that also stood out to me. Seabury, did any of the rap cliches stand out to you? Yeah, man. Dude, <laughs> let me tell you something. <laughs> in, okay, I can speak for the Black people in my neighborhood and in my surrounding area. We never popped for PN news. We were just like, yo, he, yo, he whack, dude. <laughs> like, he just corny. Right. And then that 
And I think that other little guy was fictional. I don't think he was a real wrestler. Oh, just okay. Uh-uh. Punch no. Fresh. Yeah, I think that was. <laughs> it's not yeah, a bad did. ring name, though. <laughs> it is. But he looked like, I don't know. He looked like a watered-down LL Cool J or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Angle and chains. And I was right. just like, uh, I ain't going to front. I found I found him the most annoying of the two bad rappers. I was just like, <laughs> I was just like this guy. And I was just like, okay, like whoever wrote this is probably listening to Nirvana or something. Cause I was like, they <laughs> oh, these these aren't good lyrics. I was just like, oh wow. But you know, <laughs> I, but fortunately, neither one of them had a whole, whole lot of page time in the whole 12 issues so i kind of just was like ah that was the time that was they thought got past that because like i mean i'm sorry again i'm near 50 so i'm used to you know (laughs) people not of the culture trying to showcase the culture and failing miserably (laughs) i'm a first rodeo Yeah, so that was uh, definitely a blast from the past. Now, Mr. Chris Eaton, as you recommended these, was so this was not your first time reading these, right? No, no. Okay. It was my first time reading some of it. Okay. Um, I think I had the first, probably the first half. I think I had like one through six, maybe. Gotcha. Um, so I'd read that. I had not read the back half. Gotcha. Um, I do want to say real quick about PN News. Um <laughs> For those of you uh, listening or watching that have no clue what we're talking about, Google PN News, and if it doesn't come up, PN News was a very large, very Caucasian man um, wearing a thick rope gold chain <laughs> with a flat bill hat on and a singlet the be- on the belly of which it said, yo, baby, yo, baby, yo, going around. And and that was that was some white person's idea of what rap was. Um, that's that's what happens when that happens. And um, yeah, I thought it was crappy when I was a kid watching wrestling, and it, it was. Um, <laughs> now, uh, some random things that I had just thoughts from, from reading the comic. Yeah. Uh, first of all, like... And I think I sent this to you guys uh, earlier. There's moves that they call in the comics that are not the moves that are drawn. Uh, I think in one issue, I think it's issue three, maybe it's issue one. The Steiners do what's supposed to be a spike pile driver. And the way the man lands is clearly a power bomb. <laughs> That's just wrestling mm-hmm. nerd, you know, attention to detail stuff. Um there's another one where PN News, again, jumps off the top and he's like spread all the way out. And then there's no way that he lands from that position like he lands in the next page. Um, so it's it's interesting. Uh, <laughs> I want to say this. The best issue of the entire 12 issue run is issue number two. And I want to I want to highlight this one in particular. Issue number two. Now, issue number one is a setup. You've got Lex Luger's title run. You got some Ron Simmons stuff in there, some Steiner stuff in there. Issue two 
says, heck with all that. And <laughs> we open on an aircraft carrier. Or no, it's not an aircraft carrier. I'm sorry, it's a cruise ship. And we open with Sting wrestling some jobber. Oh, it is? Like... Go ahead, Seabury. Yeah, it is issue three. Issue oh. three, my bad. Issue three, thank you. Um, opens with him wrestling some lumberjack. Uh, and, of course, getting the win. And there's this internal monologue that's thought bubbles like, Sting is talking to himself constantly in this book, and it's that old comic of I'm going to describe exactly what's going on and what I'm doing. And he's on the trail of someone called the Ghoul. And there at one point he says, uh, at least this won't be as hard as my last match. And there's a little star next to it. Like look down in the panel for like see last issue, and it doesn't say anything. There's a <laughs> panel there for it to be, and it's just a black, a blacked out rectangle so that's wonderful um <laughs> cactus jack is in this issue um looking absolutely nothing like mick foley um they draw this man like he's a wall <laughs> like literally a whole wall like <laughs> mick foley is like six foot three i think and they draw this is something that's ha that happens in the whole run of this comic with big dudes, they have a problem with scale mm. for sure. And I don't know if that's on purpose or if it's, if it's accidental, but like they draw Mick Foley, like he is seven feet wide <laughs> and 16 feet tall and about 582 pounds. Like <laughs> it's terrible. And it happens the same thing with PN news who looks like he's bigger than it's possible to be. And Vader, which I understand with Vader because it's Vader, but uh, still looking like he's, again, 17 feet wide and 587 <laughs> pounds. So the art is kind of a lot in this series. Um, now, as far as the story goes, as Marcus said, it's about a year-ish ahead of the of the show. And I think the ghoul, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't ever an actual thing that I remember on TV. I do remember a similar storyline involving a character called the black scorpion that ended up, uh, being, yeah. that ended up being Ric Flair yeah. uh, in the comic. The ghoul ends up being uh ravishing Rick rude who takes the title from staying. And uh, at the behest of Paul Heyman, Polly dangerously and the dangerous Alliance. <laughs> Uh, but it was so cool. You, uh, you got to see the diamond stud, which if any of you guys know, that's Scott Hall. And he does hit the razor's edge, even though they don't call it that. Uh, you see Steve, uh, Steve Austin, all these people um, that would eventually come to greater heights later on. Um, one thing that I noticed, though, in 92, I mean, we're not far removed from uh the jim crockett days mm. in 92 oh yeah I mean, right there's a few years but it's it's not far off so i'm surprised that this comic even really exists considering the deficiencies that wcw had with their marketing um that's interesting in and of itself but man oh no, dude marvel were a license whole words <laughs> yeah like that's fair that is some other stuff that was popping with marvel back then like they started a kid and play comic in '91, <laughs> like a year for real. <laughs> yes, yes, and like the cartoon had ended 
But they were like, hey. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. We're going to have to underline that real quick. There was, sorry, listener, to depart from this, but there was a kid in play cartoon. (laughs) Yeah, dude. (laughs) I interviewed the guy who created it. His name's John Semper. He was also one of the main creative forces behind the 90s Spider-Man cartoon. And he wrote the kid in play movie class act. Yes, there was a kid in play cartoon. But but like, but the licensed Marvel comic comes out like after the cartoons ended its run. <laughs> it is like, but hey, here's kid and play. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, there was some kind of uh, comic like based about hip hop that had called Breaking the Chain or something that had like a companion audio tape with it. Narrated by KRS One. I am learning you know what things. And dude, dude, I'm telling you, they were licensed whores in the late eighties, early nineties. <laughs> this little like random poet dude named Street Poet Ray, he had a. <laughs> they was just, man, it was crazy, dude. Uh, you know, just any little tie-in that they could think of. Uh, shoot, uh, also around the same time as WCW, um. Marvel did an adaptation of Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey oh, with Jeff Jordan doing got art. And, yeah, and, and then they started doing a <laughs> Bill and Ted comic. Like, Dang. yeah, dude, like, like they was all about that licensing money, man. <laughs> give it to me, license. Oh, you want to make a comic? Okay, cool. And then you know, also this is also you know. On the on the heels of like Barbie and Barbie fashion and Mighty Mouse, mm, like right, like, yeah, man, you know, that's just what Marvel did, man. Dang. So, to, sorry to get back to issue three because ah. I, I don't I, I don't mean to no sell that, Marcus. That's all really interesting, and I am gonna have to check out the KRS One thing because I'm a huge fan. But like, yeah. so so. Sting goes on this whole detective. It's basically like a bad issue of Batman, except it's Sting and there's less clothes because he's a wrestler. And like he's he's wearing more clothes to go dancing in the club that night with Missy Hyatt <laughs> than he is to investigate this plot to blow the ship up. <laughs> and there's a tag team involved, and the, there's these guys in trench coats that Cactus Jack pays off, right? And Sting starts fighting them, and it's just dudes in wrestling trunks with overcoats on, which is like the creepiest thing I've ever heard in my life. But, but that's what the young pistols wore to the ring. I know it's just <laughs> dumb, is what I'm saying. I, oh, 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 it does look dumb as hell in like <laughs> you know real life situations. Like it's yes, like, it's and like, and <laughs> instead of like actually fighting, they're putting wrestling moves on each other, but outside the context of a wrestling match and. I don't know if you know this, Vactor, but wrestling logic and fight logic are not the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) So if you can track down WCW, World Championship Wrestling, issue number three, you don't need issue number one. (laughs) You don't need issue number two, issue number three. Um, And if you don't want to read any other issue, that's fine. But read issue number three because it's amazing. And as a Southern wrestling fan, I was I was glad to see Tracy Smothers. I'm like, yes, you do get to see I'm Tracy like, Smothers. I'm like, Tracy Smothers. Yes. <laughs> Man. 
Well, I think that's a pretty good discussion on World Championship Wrestling Volume 1, which I don't think there was ever a Volume 2. Volume it was, only. <laughs> it was volume only. Like I said, man, if you want to read some better wrestling stuff, deal with Kanikuman, a.k.a. Muscle Ultimate Muscle in America, just, you know, just there's several different little independent stuff like what is it headlock or uh, you know yeah for sure i wanted to i I wanted to outline those thanks for saying that even Uh, do a headlock is fantastic do a power bomb is fantastic there's a little indie book called crimson cage which is a retelling of hamlet set in 1986 new orleans pro wrestling Mm. um it's really good uh i'm trying a super pro ko is a manga yes three volumes Yes, three volumes, freaking out, really good. Um, so there is good wrestling comics out there, especially Headlocked. Check that series out; it's amazing. Uh, but yeah, it there's good out there. Um, the comic book history of pro wrestling by Aubrey Citizen, yeah, fantastic, yes. really good history, actually good history of the wrestling business. Can't recommend that enough either. Um, Marcus, can you think of any others at the moment? There was one that Jim Cornette. I think he narrated and kind of co-wrote. I'm like blanking on the name, but like he has, it was kind of similar to the comic history of pro wrestling. It was a little more territorial. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, man, like, like, but our point is just like with most things, you know, the, the, the genre of wrestling comics is vast and wide and there are varying degrees of quality, but Everything that we just named is stuff that is more high quality. But I mean, like I said, this was a lark. This was cool to kind of go back to and you know joke about. Although, guys, I got a regret, man. I wanted the unmasking of like the ghoul scene. I mean, he pretty much told who he was, but I was like, I wanted the mask to come off. Yeah, it there did. was. Well, there was a lot of um, missing pieces in between the panels because the next panel they had him fully clothed and then the next panel he's in he's in his full ring attire rick rude his the mask is off like it's like two different people almost like with the whole ghoul onesie in his hand yeah you (laughs) switch and it's like wait a minute what happened there was a couple times where i was reading it and i was like um am i missing a panel did i miss a page or something like what's going on here so that was something with the ghoul where his unmasking was not shown, but that would have been a cool reveal, Seabury, like a Spider-Man taking his mask off type yeah. of panel. And, and 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 also like I was glad it was a danger lines because like when I was casually watching WCW, the danger lines was kind of running Russia. I, I didn't see a lot of it, but like it just looked so cool. I mean, you had beautiful Bobby Eaton, Arn Anderson, Stunny Steve Austin, Ravishy Rick Rude. Uh, Polly at the him, yeah. Uh, Scott Hall, aka the Diamond Stud, and Medusa up in that thing, or Alundra Blaze. A lot of Ooh, WWE. Over I know there. her. Yeah, like man, that I just feel like that faction isn't talked about enough, man. It's not. Like I really need like a little doc or something on them. You know the mm-hmm. WWE just throw on Peacock, man, because like. Because, like, you know, because you got people like Scott Hall and Steve Austin, you know, who, like, 
And even Paul Heyman with ETW, who like really went on to change the course of wrestling, man. Right. Yeah, I'd watch that for sure. And you know what else I would watch is Mr. Marcus Seabury reviewing movies on YouTube. Mr. Seabury, why don't you tell them what the latest movie you reviewed was? Let's see. All right. I have a movie review show in conjunction with On Location Memphis called Center Sundry. I think the last review that I had go up was 3,000 Years of Longing. Ah, yes. That's right. Also, a little bit before that, we did a big kind of roundtable-ish deep dive, a spoiler-filled review of The Woman King. So watch the movie first, then go watch that one because we break it all the way down. So, so yeah, man, you know, and um, you can find Center Sundry on On Location Memphis' Facebook page and on the On Location Memphis YouTube channel. So, you know, please check it out and support. Yeah. Miss Chris Eaton, uh, where can they find you on the internet this week? Well, they can find me, as always, on this fine podcast, but also on our sister podcast, The Kickout Kaiju. Uh, this past week, we just uh, put up a commentary over a match from 2003 between the great Muda and Shinya Hashimoto. Fantastic. Very Western-style Japanese match, so check that out. Um, I already gave the announcement about what our next week's episode is going to be. They can catch me there. You can also catch me on TikTok at CBK underscore Eaton. Yeah. And on Twitter at Chris Eaton. Oh, yeah. All right, my friends, thank you very much for listening to the Comic Book Kaiju. You can always check us out on YouTube or wherever your favorite podcasts are found. And I want to let everybody know that we love comics and you should too. 